So today we're going to do something really, really special. Because the downtown campus, we canceled both services, I'm going to have Pastor Glenn come and we're going to share this message together. Is that okay with you guys? <laughs> Welcome Pastor Glenn Packiam. <clears throat> so for those of you who don't know, this is probably a good uh, time to yeah. really uh, talk about this because... Uh, I, I don't know how many New Lifers know this, but uh, Pastor Glenn pastors the downtown congregation. Pastor Daniel Grothy pastors our Friday night congregation. And I pastor the little small congregation here at the main campus. So we, uh, we're, we do this together. So during the week, uh, we typically study together, have lots of conversations about the sermon. And then on Friday night and on Sunday morning, uh, the sermon comes out of us different ways, but we, we tend to stay on the same track. So Pastor Daniel spoke Friday night out of John chapter 13. Pastor Glenn was going to speak this morning out of John chapter 13. And of course, I was going to bring a message out of John 13, but we do this together. So the fact that Glenn and I are, would share this message uh, together is, would not be unusual for us because we've been studying together all week long. So if you should go to the Friday night service, maybe you're out of town on the weekend, or maybe you're looking for a, a time that's better for your family, the Friday night service, the Friday night sermon is basically what you're going to hear here on Sunday morning. If you happen to be downtown, you're going to hear basically the same sermon downtown from Pastor Glenn that you would hear from me here at the North Campus. So anyway, we're glad to have you. And for the thousands of you watching online, can we all welcome those of you? They're in their jammies. They're having hot chocolate. We're glad, and I completely understand this Sunday for not uh, chancing it for my, in fact, my own wife uh, said, Pastor Brady, she calls me that on Sunday morning only. <laughs> You're going to church without me today. I'm not going to drive in the snow. She's not real confident. But anyway, so welcome everybody from around the world, our, our, our military that's watching. We have a lot of soldiers that are tuning in this morning. So thank you so much. Grateful for that. <clears throat> All right, so... I'm really excited about this series of messages that we're going to be unpacking together. We're, we're going to start a journey starting in John 13 this morning, all the way to Easter Sunday morning. We're going to go through John chapter 17. So John 13 through John 17 for the next several Sundays. And the reason we're doing that is because there's something really fascinating in this particular passage of scripture. The book of John uh, obviously focuses on the final three years, a lot of them, the final three years, of, or the final year of Jesus's ministry on the earth. But in John chapter 13, Jesus becomes very personal and begins to have a very personal conversation with his followers. He is in the upper room. They've just celebrated the Passover meal. He is uh, looking at these men who have walked alongside him. And all the way up until really John chapter 12, every time Jesus got pressed on his Messiahship or on the fact that he was Messiah, he would, he would often deflect it. He would say, my time has not yet come. You know, when he was uh, turning water into wine or when he was in other particular conversations yeah. with people, Jesus would say things like, my time has not yet come. Do not bother me with these things. But then something happens in John chapter 12. Yeah. It's almost as if Jesus looks at his followers and says, now the time has come. Everything is under my feet. The Father in heaven has placed everything under my feet, and my time has now come. And then he begins to have the most personal, the most intimate, the most detailed conversation that is recorded anywhere in, in the Gospels, in my opinion, in these next four or five chapters. And today, we're going to look at one particular start of this conversation, because I think it's so important uh, this week, something really remarkable happened at my house. Uh, 
Abram, my son Abram's here today. He's 16 years old. He's a sophomore over College Pathways. And so he took this, uh, this class this, or this test to determine whether or not he was ready to begin taking college courses next year, his junior year. And of course, he, he did really well on it. And suddenly, Pam and I are looking at college That's courses, crazy. Glenn. This is, this is it's devastating to us. <laughs> We're looking at college courses for our oldest child. And it dawned on me. Uh, Abram's not going to always live with me, that he is now entering into a new phase of his life. The conversations that I hope I've had with him are probably going to get more intense now. Right. Glenn himself is the uh, father of four children. They're younger than my kids. Lot, yeah. You can relate yeah. with that. Yeah, well, our time has not yet come, so <laughs> <laughs> your time has. Exactly. But my time has come. It's almost like Jesus has that, that epiphany, not, uh, but he had that moment where he yeah. realizes this is probably going to be one of the final a meaningful conversations I have with my disciples. So turn in your Bible to John chapter 13. And we're going to talk today about serving as a witness. I think it's fascinating today that we've already prayed for the persecuted church around the world. I've, I've been watching, you know, I've, I've been following that very closely, that the news of uh, those 21 Egyptian men being martyred really broke Sunday afternoon last week, Sunday afternoon. So when I, when I got home from church last week, there on the news was this awful story 21 men marched out to the, you know, in Libya, out to the Mediterranean beach there, and they lost their lives. But all 21 men professing Jesus to the very end. Um, And so throughout the week, there's been a lot of responses. What are we supposed to do with that? How are we supposed to respond? And uh, obviously, I I love our military. I love uh, love the men and women who serve in our military. And I, I think there are times when we have to march out and stop evil. And so I've heard a lot of people, you know, calling for that, that maybe military action, it's time to respond with violence or it's time to respond with force. And, and I understand there are times in world history where that has to happen. Um, but it's interesting that Jesus is living in a very violent time of his own. Yeah. You know, sometimes we read these stories of Jesus and we think that he's hanging out with shepherds and sheep in and, and green pastures and he's in this kind of idyllic, romantic place yeah. in Israel. But Jesus was living in an extremely violent time where people who did not agree with the Romans were themselves marched into the public square. Many times they were crucified, beaten, scourged. They were were certainly being ruled by fear. Often it's the same way we're seeing right now in the Middle East where people are being ruled by fear and force is exactly the same way the Romans would have controlled their occupied territory during the times of Jesus through fear and force. So Jesus didn't arrive on the planet in a peaceful time. He arrives on the planet in a very difficult time. And yet he does something so remarkable in John chapter 13, so countercultural, so revolutionary, in my opinion, Glenn. Let me read this to you, and then we'll get into the conversation together. John chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now that's a fascinating passage, but listen to what he says. So, therefore, now think about this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. A lot of deistic language, a lot of messianic language. Verse 4, so he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he says, I am God, I have come from God, 
My father has put everything under my feet. I'm going back to God. And let me show you how this works out now. And he bends down. He takes a towel out. And he washes his disciples' feet. Now, why is this so important? Tell me, talk, talk us through, Glenn, for a few minutes here, why this particular act of Jesus is so significant. You said a moment ago, you said it was revolutionary, and it truly was, because in, in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, not even Jewish slaves were allowed to wash their master's feet. It had to be a Gentile slave. Now, this is very, a very different world than the world we're in, where everything is very stratified. There's lots of layers. of Everyone's very conscious of where you rank and what status is. And so this act of foot washing was not even allowed. They, they didn't even allow Jewish slaves to do it. It had to be uh, a Gentile slave. And then there's this rabbinic commentary on the story of Abraham, when Abraham sends Hagar away, a, a Gentile slave. And when he sends her away, this rabbinic tradition says that Abraham sends her away with uh, a certificate of divorce, and then he takes the shawl from around her neck and ties it around her waist as a, as a sign to say, you will ever and always be the lowest of the low. You will forever be this scorned slave. Uh, that's kind of this rabbinic tradition of that Abraham story. So what's interesting is here's Jesus knowing that the Father has placed all authority, everything under his feet, he decides to say, well, what, what am I going to do with this authority? And that, that, I think that's a profound question for us. When you have power, when you have influence, when you know that when you speak, people listen, the question is always, what will you do with it? And for Jesus, he decides, I am going to identify myself with the lowest of the low. After he knows that he's been given all authority, he says, I'll do the act that's, that lumps me in with the lowest of the low. There's another story, Brady, that's really interesting of a, um, a mother of a rabbi who when he had come back from the synagogue, she wanted to wash his feet, which is often what my mom says after church too. It's really awkward, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, but she wanted to wash his feet because he's the rabbi. And he says, no, I can't let you do this. It's, it's dishonoring to you. And she says, no, no, no. In fact, she takes the whole issue up to a court um, to obtain special permission because she's so, she says, this is my honor to wash the feet of my rabbi. Now, what's amazing is here in this story, this is Jesus. His disciples consider him their rabbi. They weren't clamoring to wash his feet. They're not saying, Jesus, it would be our honor. You've just said that your time has come, so it would be our honor to wash your... They're not clamoring. It's Jesus, the rabbi above all rabbis, the Lord of all lords, who says, I'm going to wash your feet. He's... He's totally obliterating stratification of society, totally messing up. He's, he's leveling the ground. Well, as I'm reading a story, I'm reminded of how poorly Peter responds to this. <laughs> right. You know, Peter is the, Peter's about to really make the biggest mistake of his life in, in a matter of hours. He's about to deny Jesus three times publicly. And so Peter was known to uh, kind of get in over his head, to speak before he thought. And, and so Peter makes a big deal about this. And in a way, Jesus confronts Peter the same way I think the Holy Spirit confronts all of us when yeah. we have this opportunity to serve. Yeah. So one of the big thoughts that I wrote down about this story is I really believe that serving confronts our pride, that the reason Jesus calls us to serve is because it's a direct confrontation to our power, our position, our yes. authority, our, our pride, the pride that we're aware of, but oftentimes it confronts the pride that we're not aware of. Yes. Yes. And sometimes, you know, we don't, I don't think anybody walked in the room today wanting to be more prideful. Nobody watching online says, you know, I need to learn to be more prideful 
We understand that following Jesus means humility, it means lowering ourselves, it means coming underneath. But oftentimes this pride can get hidden inside of us. And, and Jesus had already taught on this out of Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is standing in front of his followers, the, the greatest sermon, the greatest message, maybe the, 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 the time where Jesus is really unpacking what it means to belong to the kingdom. Matthew 6 says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward. He said, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets or on social media as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left, left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, Jesus already taught on this. And I think that when we have the opportunity to serve, and I'm talking about coming low, about doing something that seems beneath us. Yeah. And this is what Jesus was modeling. And so one of the questions I have this morning, especially for myself, is when was the last time that I did something that seemed beneath me? When was the last time that I had an opportunity to serve in secret? When it was beneath me? Now, we know that, that that's, that's, even to say that out loud sounds arrogant and prideful, right? To, to do something that's beneath you as if you're better than someone. But that's exactly what Jesus was modeling. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote down, and Glenn, you can touch on this, but I, I wrote down, I think there's three times, at least in my own life, where I have been confronted with this pride that I, I didn't realize was even inside of me. But I, then God gives me this opportunity to serve like Jesus. And I, I, there's, there's one thing, I think one thing that comes out of this is we can serve to be seen by others. We know that, that it's typical in our culture, especially to do something honorable, do, do something noble, but you do it so that others will see you. I mean, we, we see this as a way to glorify ourselves, to edify ourselves, and that is, it's awful. That's not, we know that's not the Jesus way, right? But this is common in our culture to serve to be seen, to serve and make sure everyone knows about it. There's a second thing that happens, though. We can serve in secret, but be proud about it. Almost like keeping a scoreboard. Well, I served, no one saw me, so therefore I'm a much better, yeah, the self-righteousness starts to creep in. Then I'm serving the poor, I'm serving my neighbor, I'm serving those closest to me, I'm serving, but I've, I'm doing it and not telling anyone. And, and, and it, it doesn't erase the pride, Glenn. It's right. the same right. pride that, you're, right. that, that, that God's trying to confront with the Holy Spirit just sits there and surfaces and grows actually. Here's a third way. Here's the thing that I think is the purest way to serve. We can serve in secrecy as worship to God alone. Yeah. And this is what Jesus was modeling, Glenn. We can serve in secrecy as worship to God alone. What does it mean to serve in well, worship? I, I just think it's beautiful that you use the word worship, Brady, because even when we, we can serve in secret to impress God. I mean, that would be almost sort of a in between number two and number three where we're serving in secret and maybe we're not exactly proud of it, but we think, okay, God, chalk one up in my account. You know, sort of this, this idea that God is keeping this, this, this uh, you know, heavenly scale and we got one more on the good side. You know, okay, God, remember that one, you know. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's so easy to do that rather than to do it from this place of, of worship and gratitude. And I love that you're talking about pride because 
you know, how many times, you know, probably many of us have been in services where they've done like a foot washing service, right? And sometimes it's really meaningful, sometimes it's really awkward. Um, <laughs> mostly awkward. Mostly awkward, yeah. <laughs> but the irony is you can wash someone's feet in the act, but in your heart still be nurturing pride, you know, that you haven't yet confronted, let the Lord confront the, the, the thing of pride, that somewhere in your mind you're still clinging to a view of the world that is stratified, you still see yourself as better than or more righteous than. And the worst thing about spiritual pride is you can use serving as really a way to elevate yourself even more. Look how much I love people. Look how much I serve. Look how early I show up. All of this stuff. And you've, you've missed the very heart of this. And, and Jesus was confronting this constantly in the Pharisees because yeah. the Pharisees would come out in public with their robes and they would pray these long prayers. They would come into the temple and make everyone else feel terrible about their sins while talking about their own righteousness. So Jesus was confronting this head on into a culture where religious pride, where religious performance had really taken over the entire spiritual culture of the country. And, and Jesus is confronting this. But then Jesus says something else. Go, go to the end of, of John chapter 13. Look at verse 34 and 35 because Jesus takes us now from a personal decision, a personal level to a much broader context in my opinion. John 13 verse 34 says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, now, remember what he's just done, right? He's just washed the feet of his disciples. He just took off his, his garment. He just, he bowed low. He went beneath his rank. He did the lowest common thing. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, by this very act, by this very spirit, by this very humility, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So I wrote down this, this, this something for us to consider that, I do believe that serving, the way we interact with one another is a witness to the world. Serving yes. literally yes. is a witness to the watching world. You know, I, I found, I don't think that we're ever gonna have a time in our, at least in my lifetime or in my children's lifetime where the outside watching world is gonna agree with our doctrine. I don't think the outside watching world is gonna ever say, yeah, you're right and we're wrong. I think they're always going to disagree with our morality about sexuality. They're never going to agree with the way we view purity and sexuality or even marriage. They're not going to agree with a lot of our doctrine about Jesus being the only way to the Father. So I don't ever assume that the outside watching world is going to be fascinated with our theology. They're probably not going to be fascinated with our doctrine. But you know what they can be fascinated with? They can be fascinated by the way we live with one another. The way we speak with one another the way we care for one another, the way we serve the broken among us, the way we come alongside the widow and the orphan and the poor, the way we come alongside the persecuted church. I think that's the very thing that Jesus is saying. He said, listen, they're never gonna agree with the doctrines of the Bible, but they will certainly be fascinated by the community of Jesus that can be formed in a congregation. And I want you to tell the story. Glenn told me this story this week and I found this so fascinating because a lot of people, even when I say things like that, like loving the widow, loving the persecuted church, loving the poor. Well, those are categories of yeah, people, yeah. but they don't necessarily have a name and a face. Well, it, and, and that's the thing that's, that you can really use as a test is how would the people closest to us say who we are? How would they describe us? Mm. Uh, it's amazing to me. We have loads of stories of Jesus reaching out to people who were on the fringes of society. But this act, and the reason these conversations are the focus of our series, is because this is with the people closest to him. 
And Jesus is, is basically saying, look, the ones nearest me know me best, and what they see is a servant. So would the people, here's the question, I wrote this down for you to consider, would the people closest to you and me, would the people who know us best, yeah. this is going to be a little personal here, okay, would the people who know us best, wife, husband, spouse, children, people who work with you, people who go to school with you, would the people who know us best call us servants? So, cricket. <laughs> You're right. It's like really quiet. I get quiet when I re- I wrote the when I wrote the question down. I went, "Oh, Pam's going to be listening to this." My kid, my son is sitting on the front row, and the conviction of that oh, question. Massive. But tell the story so, you told me this week. So, maybe the most um, outspoken person in in favor of the common person, the common man, was Karl Marx, right? And so Marx wrote the, the Communist Manifesto in favor or, or in defense of the proletariat, the working class. And so there's this huge, big document about how we've got to love and care for the common man, the working class. And communism kind of. Oh, of yeah, course. I mean, I mean, it becomes this massively influential document. But the irony is the one person from the working class that Marx knew the best was the person he exploited the most. It was his wife's servant, uh, Lenchen, and he had an affair with her. She was pregnant with a son. He disowned her. The son was sent to a, a, an orphanage. Marx never gave a dime to her or to the child. So there's this tremendous irony in saying, yes, we love the working class, but the one person that he knows, he completely ignores and doesn't serve. And this is convicting to me because it's much easier to love categories than it is to love people. It's much easier to love in general. I love the lost. I love the poor. Who? Who are they? What are their names? Have you sat with them? Do you know their stories? Church, as long as we are a people who love in categories, we are not yet loving as Jesus loves. I think that's one of the most, amen. I, that's, that's the part of the story, and I've read the story of Jesus washing feet, you know, a thousand times growing up. And, but when I saw it this week, it was his followers that he served first. It was the man closest to him that he served first. And this is the challenge for us in the room this morning. I'm not calling you to be a servant to the world. God's not calling me to be a servant to the world first. He's calling us to be a servant at home. And then out of, out of the spillover of our home, we should start serving one another here in the congregation. And then out of the spillover of the congregation, that should spill over into all the world where we go, where we're serving and caring, where there's kindness. I want to read a scripture, and then Pastor Glenn's going to lead us to the Lord's table this morning. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 to kind of set the idea, to set up this, the passage today as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. We're going to come, and Glenn's going to walk us through the bread and the cup today. But in Philippians 2, I just want to read this. Would you just read this as a, a prayer, um, a confession maybe? Uh, maybe? Maybe the Lord would use us today to awaken our hearts to this idea of Jesus being a servant, Jesus being a witness as a servant. Put it on the screen of Philippians 2, verse 5. Would you just read this? Let's, in fact, can we just read it out loud as a, as a public confession? There are times when I think it's powerful. We sing songs together, right? We have words on the screen where we're singing songs together. Literally, you know what you're doing when we're singing those songs? We're professing something. We're in unity confessing something. We're praying something together in those songs. So I want to read this together out of Philippians 2. Would you just read it out loud with me as a, as a confession, as a prayer, as a, as a mandate from God for us to be like Jesus? It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we all stand this morning? And Pastor Glenn's going to lead us now to the Lord's table. The beautiful thing about the passage we've just read is it uses this word nature twice. It says Jesus was in the very nature of God, but he poured out himself and took on the very nature of servant. Here's what I want us to see, church. Jesus didn't just serve. He actually became the servant. The same word, the nature, the status and attributes of being God and yet he took on the status and attributes of being servant. Jesus wasn't doing an action that didn't flow out of an identity. And ultimately, that's what he wants for us. What the Lord wants for us this morning is, is more than better actions. More than, okay, I'll serve more. Okay, where do I sign up? I'll serve again. Yeah. What he wants is to remake your identity. To reshape your identity. So that we don't just become people who serve, but we become people who are servants. People who have the very nature, attributes, status, rank. We're, we're actually becoming this kind of people. Imagine a church that becomes this kind of people. Imagine a church who hasn't just learned a few good behaviors, a few habits, but a church who's actually become this kind of people. Maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, well, I don't know how that happens. How, how, how does that happen? That's beyond me. Right, it is. It is beyond you. Which is why we come to the table after the sermon every Sunday. Our hope is by the time you've gotten to this point of the sermon, you're saying, Lord, have mercy. I can't do this. And he says, right. That's why I've done it for you, one. And two, that's why I've given you the spirit. So that he can do this in you and through you. It's not enough to say, yeah, I want to I do this. What we do when we come to the table is we're saying, thank you, Jesus, that you've done this on our behalf. But we're also saying, and so come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And as I take this bread and take this cup, come Holy Spirit and work a miracle of transformation, not in the elements, but in my heart. That I become changed. That this body and this blood that make me think of Jesus' body and blood actually works something miraculous in me by the Spirit. And you begin to become different. You begin to become a servant. Would you open up your hands like this as we pray? We're getting ready to come and the worship team will lead us. Maybe it's helpful for you to imagine yourself as a weary traveler in the world. Your own feet are dusty and dirty and worn and blistered. Maybe you can picture Jesus coming low. 
washing it off. Maybe you're more aware than before this morning of your own failure to serve and failure to be a servant. You're thinking, oh man, I, I'm guilty. Picture this morning the Son of God coming to wash your feet. The Son of God, Jesus, who says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll wash the dirt off your feet. I'll make you new again. I'm changing you to be like me. Would you welcome that work in your heart this morning as the worship team leads us and as we come forward to, to, to take the elements in our hands and then I'll come back up and help us all receive together.
lift up thanksgiving and praise to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your crown, Lord, and you took on our weakness, God. Come on, lift your voice and give it Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Just let it sink in for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. You could have come and ruled with a sword, but you came and served with a towel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Poured out your soul, even to death, for us, Lord. Take a moment, church. Just begin to thank him. Let thanksgiving rise from your hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. night that he was handed over to suffering and death. Our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Church, would you now take a moment and invite the Holy Spirit? We, we don't want to rush through this. We believe this is a place of encounter. So just say it. It could be as simple as saying, come, Holy Spirit. It's one of the oldest prayers of the church. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Change us. Work in us. And so we take the bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. And we take the cup and say, this is the blood of Christ shed for us. And we give you thanks, God. Work in us, change us, make us new, we pray. Would you reach across the aisles? Hope this isn't too awkward. Take the hands of the person next to you, shake off the crumbs and stuff. We're going to invite our altar ministry team to come down to the front, and we're going to have people ready to pray with you and minister to you, so that if you're feeling something stirring in your heart, you don't need to rush out of here. You can take time and let them pray with you. But I just want to pray a blessing over you, church. Thank you for gathering in, with us today in the flesh and online. And so, Lord, and so now we pray. May the love of God our Father, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, church. Drive safe.